As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. My name is Ben Sternke. I'm one of your co-hosts today. I am here with my friends, my compatriots, my comrades oh boy. in podcasting. Matt Tebby. Hey. Hey there. Hey there. I thought I'd introduce you first. Thanks. Uh, and then uh, uh, Christy Penley. Hey, hey. Pink headphones and all. That's right. It's good to see you guys. Good to be with you. Good to see good you um, together. It's, yeah. Thanks, guys. That's been, this has been great. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Nope, just <laughs> no, kidding. Got, That's not the only thing we're talking about on the podcast today. We got work to do. We got yeah, work, we got to, work do. to do. Um, yes, we do. Uh, before we dive into it, two things. Uh, number one, just a couple essential blurbs. Um, podcast listeners, if you are not on our uh, email list, I encourage you to sign up. Uh, we send out a list of curated links every Friday. Um, and um, yeah, with a little uh, thought usually from usually from me, um, cause I write these emails, but, um, but yeah, curated links for leaders every Friday. Um, you also get, um, the latest info about what we're up to and events that are happening, all that kind of thing. So it's all free and, um, it's a way to stay connected to what Gravity's doing. So that's one blurb. Uh, the other blurb is that, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Gravity Leadership Academy, which is our 12 month online training and coaching uh, intensive, uh, where we gather people into cohorts, groups of about six or seven, and we walk through a process that we've devised to help you discern how God's at work in your life, through your life, and also how to open up space um, with others. So it makes a great basis for a discipleship program. Um, and it's also just good for anybody who wants to live a Christian life, 
Rooted in Love. If that if that sounds good to you, check it out. Gravity Leadership Academy. Um, that's gravityleadership.com slash academy. And if you want to join our email list, you can go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Yeah. Those are the blurbs. Can I can I blurb one of your blurbs? Second thing. Can oh, I you can one? blurb a blurb. Go. Yeah. You, your your links today were pretty good, man. And not, I don't think people understand oh, that they you. get they get thank thoughts you. in the email, but because you're praying without ceasing, mm-hmm. they're actually getting thoughts and prayers. <laughs> thoughts and <laughs> prayers. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever if you've ever wanted thoughts and prayers, if you've been on the internet in and thought, man, thoughts and prayers sound really nice. Yeah, you can get them right there every Friday. Every thoughts Friday, and prayers. Yes. Also, speaking of discipleship. Yeah. Speaking of discipleship, you know, one of the things that the Lord's been doing in my life is uh, uncovering ways that I have like a scarcity mentality, you know, like I, I'm afraid I won't have enough. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hoard. And I just found oh, yeah. uh, this old piece of dental floss laying on my uh, office uh, desk here. <laughs> and um, I heard uh-huh. him say specifically, uh, my son, this is not a problem. You ha- you don't have a problem. This is uh, This is wise stewardship of your resources. Because... I'll let you know. That, use Are you about to use it again? Please uh, don't use that right now. I'm not going to use it right now. I'm just saying Matt? it is worse. Matt, what? No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to floss my teeth until we get off, and then I will. I thought. Oh this my was, gosh! Oh, it's no. been on the floor. No, 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 no. It's been on my Listen, desk. I will it's been send on my you. Desk. Look, it's better to okay, have. Okay, not on the floor. Yeah, it's it's better to have dental floss when you need it than to have something stuck in your teeth. And not have anything to get it out. Like that is. I don't Do you know. have something stuck in your teeth? Is that why you ripped a piece off and it's just sitting on your desk? No, but you never know when you'll get something stuck in your teeth, Christy. <laughs> yeah. You always have oh to goodness. be ready. You always have you to be ready. How else am I going to train my flosser. body? Get a water flosser. <laughs> I don't have. Uh, I don't have the same kind of scarcity issues, but it does really bother me if I've got something in my teeth and Come on, no dental this floss is, a safe is space. readily available. Yep. I was on my way to a discipleship uh, a meeting uh, the other night, a discipleship group in our church the other night, and we had just eaten, and uh, we took the car that doesn't have any of those little uh, dental uh, picks in it. The, one of our cars has dental picks in it, but we took the car that didn't have any dental picks in it, and I found myself... Uh, vigorously, mm. you know, like mm-hmm. poking at the thing with my tongue and trying to get it out of my teeth before the discipleship meeting because it just sounded like the worst thing in the world to have to endure two hours of a meeting without hey ben, being able to get that out of my teeth. Remember, so I understand this. Remember that uh, <laughs> you too could keep a dental pick just laying around. It doesn't matter how many yeah, times well, it's been I, used. Uh, An emergency dental pick. You know does, what I'm learning? It does matter. I am learning. I know what to get you guys for Christmas now. I am going to send you a big old package of dental picks. I do this. I, we're getting a little bit uh, far afield here, but I, I don't know. Maybe this will be interesting to people. But I, uh, so I do this um, with chapstick. I have plenty of chapstick in all of the places that I ever need it. Mm. So I've got one in my car. I've got one in my backpack. I've got one in my drawer right next to my desk. I've got one in my drawer next to my bedside. I've got one in my drawer in the bathroom. I have chapstick in five places and I need it in those five places because I have to have it when I, when I need to get it. So right. anyway, see, I'm not alone yeah. here. All right. That's probably enough about chapstick and floss. Tune in next week for more toiletry talk. <laughs> Uh, yeah. No, we we have a we have an interview to uh, to introduce and zit pads, yeah. Q tips, yeah, cotton uh, balls. This is yeah. exactly. <laughs> I'm sure this is exactly how Megan Johnson wanted her 
uh, interview to be introed. Just how she drew it up. It's how it's she was dreaming she that we up. would intro. So we talked to Megan Johnson about her book, Woman Rising, Learning to Listen, Reclaiming Our Voice. It's a travelogue and a personal narrative and a theology of women in the church. And it's it's really expertly written. And the way she weaves, uh, oh, she goes to 11 countries in 11 months and spends time with women who are being oppressed or trafficked or abused. And she comes to see her own Christian life in a greater, with greater clarity and greater conviction because of it. So we talk about that. Megan has her own podcast. We mentioned that. This is, she was great. And and this, by the way, this is a little uh, listener tidbit here, a little trivia. She is the first guest we've ever interviewed twice because we did an interview. <laughs> we interviewed right. her and oh, yeah. lost the whole interview. And I was bummed because she was, a it was awesome. Witch. And then we yeah. interviewed her again and it was a completely different interview. So you have, you get the second go around. We had a dress rehearsal. This is the <laughs> opening night yeah. of the podcast. It was, it was still great. It was still great. It was yeah. a, it was a second great interview. I, I was really glad that she was so um, gracious with us as well uh, and generous in spending another entire interview uh, talking about the same things. Um, it was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, also, Trigger warning. We should probably just give mm. a little bit of a trigger warning. There yes. is some discussion of sexual assault in yeah. this podcast. Yep. So, listeners, thank you. Be aware. Yeah. yeah don't. All right. Don't let. Are the we ready che- to get into it? Don't let the cheeky intro fool you. This is some serious stuff. It, it is some serious stuff. <laughs> it is, it really and is. it's heavy. Yeah, yeah it's heavy. It little little people, little listeners. If you're like in the car or you're at the home yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. don't let little ears maybe hear this. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well. Let's get into it. It's a great right. conversation with Megan Chance. Megan Chance, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am grateful to be here. Megan is a writer and a former missionary who currently hosts a podcast, um, uh, the Faith and Feminism Podcast, and she loves to travel. She lives with her husband, Dustin, in uh, the Bible Belt, and we were just talking college football and running out of homes for college football weekends. Megan, uh, what else do we need to know about you? Uh, I mean, what there's so much I could say, um, but probably stuff that you guys don't care about because you don't know who I am. Um, But basically, a long story made short is I grew up in the evangelical church, conservative evangelical church, Um, grew up with a lot of thinly veiled misogyny, being taught that uh, women were less than, easily deceived, um, unintelligent, and needed to submit to men because they weren't capable of making their own decisions. And I was taught that basically my purpose in life was to serve the men around me. And even as a child, this felt wrong. It really clashed with my personality. I'm very outspoken. I'm super competitive to this day. I like, and everyone was like, oh, you shouldn't be that way as a girl. And I always heard like, oh, you shouldn't do that as a girl. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't say what you're thinking. You shouldn't ask questions. Um, And so I always felt myself bucking against these teachings. Um, But at the same time, as so many of us need, um, 
I needed acceptance and belonging, and my church community was everything to me. And so even though I had questions and doubts and reservations about the teaching specifically regarding gender hierarchy, um, I went along with it because I wanted to be loved and accepted and viewed as the good girl. Um, And so that eventually led me to do missions work, which kind of tore my whole world open and had me really evaluate these teachings and the effects of these teachings on not just women here um, in the United States, not just me, but women around the world. Yeah, and you you did something called the World Race, which the way I understand it, it's 11, 11 different countries in 11 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could you maybe, because um, we're talking about your book, Women Rising, Learning mm-hmm. to Listen, Reclaiming Our Voice, and the book is sort of a memoir travelogue about mm-hmm. your world race. Mm-hmm. And so for those of us who aren't familiar with this, could you describe what that was and why that interested you? Yeah. So I went to school for, I went to the University of Colorado. I'm actually from Colorado. So moving to the South has been. Woohoo! <laughs> I love Colorado. That's where it's, I'm from. That's where uh, I am. Where did you grow up from? I grew up in Michigan, but oh. I'm here in Colorado Springs. So we didn't oh. talk about that before, but okay. yes. Go yeah, to Colorado. I, yeah. I grew up <laughs> in Castle Rock. So I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yes. Um, yeah. So I grew up, um, like I said, in this, this conservative place. And I went to school for journalism at the University of Colorado Boulder and had an internship at this like cutthroat newspaper. And um, it was right as newspapers were dying. And I realized that maybe this is not the career that I want. It seemed too hard and challenging. And so um, I was like, well, what can I do better than just serve God? Like, what was I thinking? You know, like, and so I decided to do missions. And that's what led me to the world race. The world race is essentially 11 countries, 11 months, partnering with different organizations, churches, English, people speaking, like teaching English um, around the world. And so I will say I have, um, in retrospect, a lot of reservations about the work that I did. Um, But at the time, it seemed like the best way that I knew to serve God. It seemed like the best option. Um, And so I, you know, growing up in the church, I wasn't allowed to be a preacher or a teacher or anything essentially besides a housewife. And so this felt like my only option Mm -hmm. as a Christian woman to live my life in a way that I felt was acceptable. Um, And also to help people. That was a huge driving factor. I was raised with um, a belief of uh, kind of thinking I'm a terrible person and um, the -hmm. only thing that I can do to make me better, like they said it was just believe in Jesus, but it wasn't really just believe in Jesus. There's all of these contingencies attached to it. And so I thought that helping people would Um, help me to love and accept myself. And so I think there is a lot of factors that led me to do missions. But I think boiling down to it is I wanted to be a good girl. I wanted to serve God. And this was the best way that I knew how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And this book is, is, like I said, a travel log in the Mm -hmm. sense that you, you went to some places. And even though you have some reservations, a lot of the things that you talked about doing in this book seemed like really good work. Mm -hmm. Um, But this, this, this 11 months... Uh, it's changed your life and yeah. and surprised you in in the way that essentially you went into some situations where there were women living in misogynistic patriarchal oppressive cultures not not just thinly veiled but uh, mm-hmm. no veil at all right mm-hmm. and in their lives and stories it seems like 
you were able to get clarity on your life mm-hmm. and and your story. Exactly. Yeah? yeah, that's a great way to sum it up. Um, essentially, I was very quickly confronted with, like, like you said, it wasn't thinly veiled um, misogyny. It was very outright. And um, I think I was starting to question some of the things I had been taught, some of the things I had experienced specifically working and seeing these stories. So for example, um, I was sexually assaulted when I was 13 years old on a mission trip. I always believed it was my fault. I had been raised with purity culture. I had been reprimanded the same week about a shirt that when I raised my hand, there's a small sliver of my stomach that showed. And and my youth pastor told me that I would make men do bad things, that I was a stumbling block. Um, and I was 13 and obviously not at all trying to seduce anyone. I was reaching for my bag that was up in the, you know, the up overhead compartment. And I just remember feeling shame, just so much shame, feeling like my body was something to be hidden, that it was bad, Mm -hmm. and that I really couldn't trust myself because um, apparently the things that I thought were just normal were had some kind of malintention to it. And so later that week, I um, had lagged behind the group and had a stranger um, come up and grab my young breast and, and walk away. And I remember thinking, no one can know what just happened because it's just Mm. proving what my youth pastor said, right? That I am the problem. I must have done something wrong. I was petting a stray dog. That's how I got so far behind. Um, But yeah, and I I didn't tell anyone. And I remember having nightmares after it happened Mm. because I thought it was my fault. And I just became, uh, you know, all of these teachings about, you know, licked Oreos or licked suckers, I I had suddenly without my consent or even trying to become that way. And so I didn't tell anyone. And the teachings around me always said those things happen due to individual sin and specifically your individual sin. And so, of course, I had so much shame to not tell anyone. And then I started traveling. And what I saw is that young women, specifically in, in an area I was in, Kenya, were telling me that they were survivors of sexual mm-hmm. assault. And I was able to see like the story happening again and again and realize like this was not your fault. This mm-hmm. was not your fault. I would never, ever think that. Yet for my the last 10 years of my life, I had worn this secret thinking that this thing that had happened to me and other things that had happened to me um, similarly to that were my fault. And so I started asking the question, is this something that's due to individual sin, or is this due to systems? Is this due to teachings between men and women in patriarchy? And what really made me ask this question is the area I was working in in Kenya, very strict um, gender norms, patriarchal norms, uh, to the point where girls had to fight to get a second a secondary education. In that area, it was believed that your role is to stay home and be a mother and take care of the house. So why would we even waste an education on you that costs money because ultimately that's going to be your role. And so while it wasn't, um, while what I grew up with wasn't extreme like that, but I was raised with the idea that women belong in the home. And I'm like, why is this happening? And at the same time, these girls would tell me about 
sexual violence that they had endured, physical violence for the way they had to fight to school. And then on top of that, what really stopped me in my tracks is that these women were asking, or these girls were asking questions about what they called female circumcision. And um, Mm -hmm. I remembered in college hearing that phrase, but the way I knew it was the term female genital mutilation. I thought, you know, this stuff is hardly any practiced anymore. And to to give context to listeners, uh, that's when some or all of the external genitalia is removed without anesthetic, without any proper training. Sometimes girls bleed to death. And even if they survive the super traumatic procedure, um, it makes sex extremely painful. It causes all of these problems with urinary tract infections. It also causes um, problems when they do have children and give birth. The baby can often get stuck and both the baby and the mother can die. And so there's really no benefit to this. And I, and I really didn't think I would ever encounter this, but girl after girl was asking me if if that was practiced in the United States. And at the time, I said, no, it's not, but it actually is. Um, if you do a little bit of research, it is practiced in some parts of the United States. Um, but it was it was this harsh gender violence that had me start asking questions about why. Why is this happening? And so as I continued on, I worked with women who had been sex trafficked. Um, I worked with, you know, from little girls to, to women in India or Thailand or the Philippines. And I kept on asking this question, why is this happening? And at the same time, being part of conservative Christian culture that also wanted me to kind of step back, let the men handle it. Don't don't rile the boat. And so I, I, you know, I was starting to push for women's equality within the church, found a lot of pushback, didn't really understand it um, until after about three or four years of doing this work. I was working in the Philippines with an organization um, that partners um, or helps women who are sexually exploited in these bars. And so to kind of like each place that you go to, sex trafficking is going to look different. So specifically here in the Philippines, young girls and women are trafficked. It's In this area, it was primarily by foreigners who were there, um, wealthy foreigners, so white men from Europe, Europe Asia, uh, United States, Australia, who would buy these, these women. And most of them, the story that I heard over and over and over again, um, was that there was no other options for these women. Um, so what's happening right now with climate change is there's these massive hurricanes. Like we see them here in the United States, bigger hurricanes, more hurricanes. Well, the Philippines is made up with a bunch of tiny islands. And a lot of these families live on these islands, live off the land. And you have a big hurricane or what they would call a typhoon, um, wipe out their land. And so these people have no formal education their livelihood was has been completely wiped out. And oftentimes they have a lot of children because you're a farming community, so you need more children. And so these people are just left with nothing. And so these families will send their older children to the city and they say, find a way to provide for us. But without a formal education, there's really nothing for them to do. And so they often get trafficked um, because there's nothing else. And so some of them have full knowledge of what it, they're getting into. They know what it means. Some people get into it and think, 
oh, I'm just going to be serving drinks. Uh, that's all that's going to happen. And eventually, well, I've heard many stories of uh, the bar managers actually getting their employees drunk and then raping them and then making them more compliant. So I've heard all different types of stories. But essentially what's happening is that these people, these women are vulnerable. They're trying to ha- survive with their family. Mm-hmm. And um, people are preying on that. And so it was in this situation, I was partnering with an organization called Wipe Every Tear, who gave these women a, a safe house, provided a college education, and also provided for dependents, which I think is really key. Uh, yeah. A lot of people are like, why don't women leave? Well, they have children and moms and uh, you know brothers and sisters that they're trying to support. So it's not as simple as I need to get out. It's like, well, if I get out, how are they going to eat? And so I think that's such an important thing that people don't mm-hmm. think about. Um, but anyways, an incredible organization, you know, we would go into these bars and talk to them about the organization. And it was on one of these nights that, um, I was talking to a a woman. It was her first night in the bar. She was, she had a little bit of a different story because it was her abusive boyfriend who was forcing her to do this. And she had a, a young child. Um, and as I was talking to her, these six men came up and wanted to buy her and uh, she said no, and she should be able to say no, even in this context, but they weren't taking no for an answer. I said no. They started grabbing her. Um, a teammate ran over and said, why don't you buy her first? I pulled out the team money, bought her for the night, and these men still tried to take her. Mm. And so I, then I got in a fight with these men, with the bar managers, and eventually won the argument that, okay, she's able to go home for the night. She doesn't have to go with these men she doesn't want to go with. Unfortunately, these men just got really, really angry, and in their anger, just pulled another woman off the stage. Mm. And I remember feeling like I maybe helped one woman, but I made one woman's night vastly more dangerous, Mm. vastly worse. Angry men are a lot more dangerous than just drunk men, and having women I've worked with in the past actually be murdered by clients, I felt... I just asked, what am I doing? What am I doing here? I don't know. They're so quickly replaced. I need to know why this is happening. Why are women being treated this way? Why are they being exploited this way? And the next night I got my answer in such an unusual way. I was talking, I was actually not very talkative at all. And these American guys called us over, me and my team over, and they wanted to know why we were there. And we told them, and we asked them, why are you here? And he said he came, he was an American army guy about in his 60s that had three daughters around the age of the women that worked there and said that he came here to get the respect he deserved. Women in the United States did not know their place. They weren't submissive enough. But women here were submissive, were raised right, knew how to treat men, knew how to pleasure men. And so this is why he came here. And it was this really long tirade about how women need to respect men and women need to be submissive to men. And as I'm listening to this man talk, something clicks in me. And I'm like, I've heard this before. Where have I heard this before? Why does this seem so familiar? Why is this so triggering for me to hear in this context? And it hit me that it sounded like all of my childhood pastors. It sounded like my youth pastor. It sounded like my other pastor. It sounded like the men growing up in the church saying that I needed to shut up and sit down and serve them. And that's when everything changed for me. I realized that 
Um, I have no idea if that man was a Christian, but at the very least, he shared the same beliefs about women and men that my childhood church had. And it was just this huge crisis of faith is like, I think I've been complicit in a system that harms women. So I quit my job, and ever since then, I've been trying to educate people on the harm of these patriarchal gender hierarchy teachings that the church has said is God. And it really isn't, and I could go so much deeper into that, but there are so many studies. I just shared a study today about um There's a study in 2015 that shows that intimate partner violence or domestic violence, a risk factor of that is fundamental religion. Um, And so there's another study done by Lynn Yonak that shows that sexual assault is not due to lust like I had been taught. It's actually due to power differentials. So again and again and again, these studies are coming out and showing the abuse of women is not individual sin that I had been taught. It's a system of saying that men are better than women, that men deserve the respect of women, that men are in charge of women. This system is called patriarchy. And patriarchy, whether it's in the church or in society or in any country in the world, is extremely degrading and harmful to women. And so that's why I started my podcast. That's why I wrote the book. Wow. And now we take up an offering, right, or something. <laughs> this is, that was, a, that was incredible. Um, uh, I'm struck, um, Megan, by uh, in your story, there was it took it took sort of seeing a stark difference in in terms of at least um, kind of the outward circumstances, right? So you would have mm-hmm. never thought of yourself in the same way that these women mm-hmm. were being oppressed and exploited, but no. but seeing them and empathizing with them in their plight, um, eventually created the context, this context of difference that created the context for you to see the similarity mm-hmm. and see, oh, wait a second, this is, this is the same in many ways, not just like, wow, this is, well, look at what's the, these terrible things that are happening, mm-hmm. but it allowed you to make this connection back to your own experience um, that I, I, think, I think is correct, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. I, think, I think you're right to make that connection and to do this work of saying like, we need to unravel. This isn't just about individual people who are bad, you know, or Mm -hmm. who make mistakes. This is about a system that emboldens and empowers sinful people to do these things um, with impunity oftentimes. Right. They, they just, they do them because they, they know this is part of the system and this Mm -hmm. is being reinforced at every level. Um, So anyway, I was just struck by that, 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 sort of the experience of difference allowed you to see something about your own experience um, that that you couldn't see until you were kind yeah. of confronted with a different expression of it. Mm-hmm. I think that was like one of the biggest things is like for me, so many people who fight for women's rights or say anti-racism or whatever, they're constantly accused of hating white people or hating right. men or whatever. Right. 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 And what I want to make really clear is I'm not against men. I'm married to a man. I love men. I think they're incredible. (laughs) I am against the system that teaches that men are better than women, that women must be subservient to men. I'm essentially against patriarchy. And it grieves my heart that this system, I just outlined how it hurts women. And I could go on and on and on. I'm telling you, I could go on forever. But the system is also extremely damaging for men. It's, yes. it's, it's a lose-lose right. situation. When we tell men, like what I was talking up, say in purity culture, um, if it's on the market, 
uh, like don't show it, don't show it if it's not on the market. So it's teaching men that if they see something they want it, they can just grab it. It's just on the market for them to grab. Right. They're told that boys will be boys. They're told, you know, that women must cover up to protect your lustful thoughts. And I think all of these teachings, they're not actually helpful for men because oh. it's teaching them that they're not responsible for their sexual urges, which is, is just not true. And then if we go even deeper, it's telling men to be invulnerable, to always be in charge, to always have power. And if we're looking at violence, um, a lot of men are only told that anger is the only acceptable emotion that they can have. And in fact, I'm listening, you know, I love Brene Brown. She's amazing. And I'm re-listening to some of her books right now. And she talks so much about how men specifically are given the script that they have to be Mm -hmm. invulnerable. Mm -hmm. And this leads them to self-harm. That's why we see a lot higher suicide rates in men. Um, But it also leads to to violence towards others because they're told this is the only way you can express your frustration or your grief or your sadness is to be in control and to be dominant. And so it's harming men. It's keeping them in a a small box of not allowing them to experience the full, beautiful range of human emotion. And it leads them to harm themselves and to others. And so I just, I'm not against men. I'm against the system of patriarchy that harms us all. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Megan, that's really well said. Um, and I, I think it's something that doesn't get enough. I mean, I, I, I typically hesitate to, to say it because I don't want to minimize like the harm that it does mm-hmm. to women, right? Yeah. So as a man. Um, but it is like the way that you've stated that is, mm-hmm. is so true that it is deeply dehumanizing and mm-hmm. disempowering yep. yeah. for men to just be taught this is the only thing for you. Um, mm-hmm. And it actually like truncates our human experience in really harmful ways for everybody. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. Megan, as you talk, I keep thinking like, this was my life. This is my life. Mm-hmm. This, like mm. much of what you said is very similar to my story. And I kept thinking of my two girls. Mm-hmm. I have two girls that are 11 and 12. And I think, okay, help me know, like I'm in counseling myself, right? <laughs> and like, right. because I feel like I need to be like, the lies that I have learned and believed mm-hmm. um, need to be weeded out and I need to marinate in what r- truth is. But I also am like, okay, what does it look like for me not just to be whole and healed, but for me to lead my girls in a way that is whole? And so what would you say to our listeners who are listening saying, yes, I grew up that way. I believe those things. I can see the ramifications of that um, in my life and I want those chains to be broken And I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know, like, um, what steps to take. What would you say to our Mm -hmm. listeners like that? I want to first affirm and see all of the listeners. I've absolutely been there. 
um, stepping away from the patriarchal teachings and even my church community at large, I didn't intend to step away from them, but I found that by speaking about these things, they pushed me, (laughs) they pushed me out, um, essentially. And I think a lot of us know from being in an evangelical community, we have seen what happens to people when they step outside the lines. And so I'll just give a few big examples. We saw what happened to Jen Hatmaker when she became affirming. People were burning her books. They were pulled from the shelves. There was like all of this hate towards her. What about Rob Bell when he wrote Love Wins? Like we see the backlash of what happens when people step outside the bounds and they start to question this. And so you're faced with this idea like, um, I think what I've been taught is harmful, but I also know that if I'm vocal about this, if I start to move away from this, if I maybe change some things about my life, the cost of this can be really high. And I wish I could tell people, no, the cost is fine. It's not bad. It's totally, you know, like it, it is, it, there's a cost. Um, but what I do want to say is that it's worth it. And so what I tell to women and what I tell to men is different coming out of this kind of patriarchal context. What I say to women is first find a support system. That is absolutely essential. You have to have some friends in your life, a partner in your life. If you can't find friends or a partner in your life that to talk about this stuff with, and I'd really encourage you to find, there's tons of online support groups. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys know of a lot. I know of one. I host one called Faith and Feminism. But I think it's really essential to first build a support network before we start bucking off these <laughs> these roles because we're going to need that support when it comes to it. And so for me, um, I didn't know how much um, it would hurt, I guess, to have friends and family turn against me because of my beliefs about women's equality. But fortunately, I had a really incredible support. My husband is my biggest cheerleader. I can talk to him about anything. He is there. And so I have that support system. I have a therapist. Please find a therapist. They're incredible. Um, But find that support system. And then I would say to to remember that when you go along with these teachings as women – you're not helping anyone. It's not your call in life. You're actually helping to prop up a system that cause, causes harm. And I think when we look at it that way, is like I'm actually upholding a system that causes harm. I think it kind of gives us the push that we need to be like, I don't want to be complicit in harming others. That was my push. I don't want to be complicit in harming women. I don't want to be telling these stories and living my life in a way that is saying that patriarchy is okay or a good thing or how we should live our life. Um, So I think all of those things are important, but to also just know um, that when people do push back against you, because it will happen, um, that that is more to do with them and their trauma responses. We all have trauma, but, you know, we're familiar with the fight, flight, fawn or freeze. Those are our responses when we perceive danger. This is true of every human being. And so when someone who's been raised in a system and is told that this system is good and great and holy, and we start to buck against that system, they start to view us as an invader or a threat. And so you could have some really harmful, hurtful things said to you. But what has been most powerful in my healing journey is to remember that they're going through their own 
journey of trauma, what they're saying is not about me, it's about me challenging the system, Um, which is showing me even more how much I need to challenge the system, because it's creating these little, these people who we love to be, I guess, little soldiers um, on behalf of patriarchy. And so um, what I'd say is it's, it's, it's essential, find the support network and remember that when you stand up for yourself, that you're standing up for all women. Yeah, Megan. Um, amen. Chrissy, did you have a follow-up you wanted to ask about that? Sorry, I don't want to jump in because that was a response to your question. No, it's good. You, you can mentor you my daughters. I just daughter. need more women like <laughs> you in my daughter's lives, like right in my son's lives for that matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, right. truly, uh, all my kids need to hear this, and mm-hmm. um, and we need to, uh, you know, being afraid. Uh, What's that statement about like courage is like not it's not not being afraid or whatever you know what I'm courage about? is not the absence of fear it's deciding that something's more important than yeah. fear and that is true That's in good. this case right yep. I mean we yeah. we need that I want to instill that in my girls and in my boys and uh, in myself yeah. and in our listeners so yeah what's brilliant about this narrative in this book Megan is that you take your life which by the way you have um, there's one page in your book where you list mm-hmm. all your sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's like age 13, age 15, age 16, age 19, mm-hmm. age 20, age 21, age 22. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I, I want to give the listeners an idea that, um, I think that you're not atypical, Megan. In the, and I think that, um, many women I've talked to actually need to read a book like this so they can read your litany and go, oh crap, the same thing happened to me. Mm-hmm. I never thought of that as sexual assault, but mm-hmm. I think it is. I think I think I was sexually assaulted. Um, there's this normalization of sexual assault, and, and it it struck me kind of like that moment you had with that guy who was like basically spouting like really bad purity culture preaching to you as mm-hmm. as a guy looking for um, you know prostitutes in in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I was reading several years ago. Enzi's Ansari, the comedian, mm-hmm. um, had mm-hmm. sort of this article written about him, this expose of of this woman who went on a date with him, and Enzi mm-hmm. Zansari kept trying to sexually assault her. And mm-hmm. she kept saying no, and it just mm-hmm. kept, kept happening. And I read a, a woman who read that uh, report, she said her her fundamental frame for reading that story was, oh, this was just, you, you weren't sexually assaulted, you just had a bad date. Oh, and my. as she told her story, she said, I realized that I and millions of other women have been taught to interpret sexual assault as a bad mm-hmm. date. Yep. Just a bad mm-hmm. date. And, I, and when I read that, I realized we, we need, uh, speaking of courage, Megan, we need people like you who are willing to tell their story mm. so that other women can see their story in your story and have the validation and permission to name the bad date for mm-hmm. a crime. Yeah, yes. for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I just want to affirm that. And for our mm-hmm. listeners, um, I realize we're on a holy ground. We're also on like uh, trigger warning ground. So we'll probably put something in the beginning of <laughs> right. this podcast about that. But I do want to pivot a bit, Megan, because you saw kind of the worst of patriarchy, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, genital mutilation and mm-hmm. and men owning and buying women, and mm-hmm. um, and and some of the stories like men basically keeping women as prisoners in their own home and not letting them go to school mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you also in this story tell um, 
tell the the story of of your knight in shining armor. <laughs> the one that I thought was the knight in yes. shining armor. Or yes. the one that I... So here's here's yeah. here's what here's what patriarchy as it gets baptized in Christianity tells us. The problem isn't patriarchy. The mm-hmm. problem is all these men are just abusive. Mm-hmm. And if you yes. find the really good guy, let's call him Thomas. <laughs> if you find the really good guy, who you named Thomas in the book, mm-hmm. then you will experience the freedom and the beauty and the sacredness of what God intended patriarchy to be. Can you mm-hmm. can you tell us why that's a load of crap, Megan? Mm. Oh gosh, yes, I can. Um <laughs> I absolutely can. So, I mean, you'll have to read the book to get all of the juicy details. But long story short, um, I wanted to get married. I think a lot of us desire partnership. Um, I think that's a completely normal human desire. Um, I think a problem that the evangelical teaches, the evangelical church teaches, is that women are the passive receivers of life. And they wait for that man, and they don't go after the man, and they don't, they just basically are told to shrink into themselves. The most attractive mm-hmm. woman is the woman that's the most covered up, the most silent, the most complicit, mm-hmm. the most willing to prop up him. And so I met this guy. Um, actually, he found me on Facebook and, of course, gave me all of the one-liners that girls want to hear. You're so beautiful. You're such a pure heart. He kept on talking about my smile. And, man, that should have been the beginning of me knowing that this was a shallow relationship. It wasn't based on anything good. Um, And I wasn't supposed to be dating at that point. Well, he wasn't supposed to be dating. He was about to go on the world race. And I kept on saying, hey, no, like, we're going too far. Let's be friends. And I I kept on trying to set that boundary. Let's be friends. Let's be friends. Let's be friends. He kept on pushing through those boundaries. And what I told myself, as my boundaries were continually disrespected, is that he just couldn't help himself, right? That's what purity culture teaches. He is just, he can't help himself. He's so into you. He can't, he has no self-control. And it's not his fault. It just means that you're so special and awesome that he can't help himself. And so I even remember talking to spiritual leaders that I trusted, and they told me, Um, You should just take his lead. You should just follow his lead, even though his lead was violating my boundaries. Um, Mm. And I remember even at one point he told me that he believed that men were supposed to be the provider, pursuer, and protector. And I remember thinking in that moment, I have seen this misused more times than I can count around the world. I have seen this Mm. idea that men are supposed to be in charge be used as a form of violence and control, and I know this is wrong. But because all of my evangelical teaching and preaching and all of that stuff had told me, go along with him, believe him. And I remember I knew I was in trouble when I said, yeah, I agree. Men are supposed to be the provider, pursuer, uh, provider, pursuer, protector. And I remember thinking, I don't believe this. I'm lying. I'm shrinking. I'm doing all of these things to appear attractive to him. And so long story short, he continues to push through my boundaries. I kind of give in. I'm like, oh, he, like he can't help himself. He thinks he would say things like, I don't know if you're my wife yet. Remember, we're not dating. We're not even wow. dating. Like wow. he's saying things like marriage wise. And 
And he would say it in such an ambiguous way. I'm like, are you talking about in general or like with us? <laughs> like, it was so confusing. Yeah, it was so confusing. Golly. But I wasn't allowed to ask questions. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to do anything. And I went along with it. And he basically promised me, long story short, we had to not break up, but stop talking. It's a long story. But um, he promised me he wouldn't talk to anyone else, which is a weird promise, right? Like, I'm still committed to you and I won't talk to anyone. Well, okay, like, why do you need to tell me that? <laughs> and um, it turns out I was one of many. I was oh. one of at least three that I know of because mm. I talked to these women and they didn't know who I was. Oh, you know, I was in this like kind of mentorship position and these women would come and tell me about it. Yeah. Anyways, bad situation, not a good situation. Wow. But I, what I really want us to reflect on this idea that it was told to so many people that men must be the provider, the protector, pursuer. I want us to flip the script. If men are provider, protector, pursuer, what are women? What is mm. their role? It makes them the protected. So that means that they're in danger, they're vulnerable. Um, pursuer means that I can't, if they're their pursuer, I can't choose my own life. I can't choose my life paths. I have to wait for it to happen. And essentially that path is to serve him and his goals. Um, and the provider, that just leads us vulnerable, right? Like if we can't provide for ourselves, we're dependent upon the man to do it for us, which mm -hmm. keeps us in abusive relationships. How many times do we hear stories of domestic violence where women can't leave because how are they going to provide for themselves? Right. How are they going to provide right. for their children? Mm -hmm. And so it's just a nasty recipe that mm -hmm. takes out um, what I think makes a relationship, which is like communication, um, love, choice, all of yeah. these things that I think are the building blocks of a healthy relationship. And I just want to end on one final point here. I remember growing up in the evangelical church, something I heard again and again and again and again. Marriage is terrible. It's about your holiness, not your happiness. It's so hard. It's the worst thing ever. And and I remember like, <laughs> why do people get married? And I heard this all growing up. And so I had a lot of fear going in. I've been married for about five years now. And I had a lot of fear going into marriage. I was like, mm. everyone's told me this is so bad. Mm. And I know I'm only five years into marriage. We don't have kids yet. I know there's a lot of factors, but I'm telling you, marriage is the best thing about my life. Mm -hmm. I have a partner who loves, supports, encourages me. I don't feel alone. I have someone to talk to. We are so happy. We laugh a lot. We, you know, like I think it's yes. amazing. And I think why all of these people told me marriage was so hard was because they had power differentials baked into the clay of their marriage. They had inequality, and that automatically means a lack of communication, which we hear again from therapists again and again, communication is key. But if a man feels like he has to be proud and invulnerable and in charge, he's not going to be vulnerable mm -hmm. or actually talk about the things he's struggling with his wife because he has to be this strong provider protector. And if the woman has to be submissive, she's not going to actually say what she thinks. And so right. there's this inherent power differential baked into the to the the marriage and so how can you expect a healthy and thriving marriage like i believe god designed if you are constantly holding and hiding yourself to fit within these prescribed gender norms yeah 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 it just strikes me that he was just doing what you said earlier is like like noticing what's on the market and shopping mm -hmm. essentially he was mm -hmm. shopping right um 
I'm also surprised that provider, protector, pursuer is not true or good because it's alliterated. And that usually just means <laughs> usually just means it's true, right? I mean, this is why preachers... Uh, it sounds great. If he would have added, yeah. added predator, and then maybe predator. it could have been more true. Provider, um, pursuer, protector, right. pr- yes. Yeah, what I hear you saying, Megan, is that... Um, even sort of like he probably embodied some of the best of he was trying to embody the best of what we think of as Christian patriarchy, mm-hmm. but it still dehumanizes and yeah. disempowers yeah. and yeah. disrespects you as an agent, mm-hmm. as a image bearer, as a human being, um, mm-hmm. and ultimately, like the whole boundary thing is so huge. Mm-hmm. I, I think even being able to name Megan that you set up a boundary and he transgressed it is uh, actually probably evidence of good work in your life because... Absolutely, yes. I, I th- well, say more about that, Chrissy. Sorry, sorry. I, just, I was like, <laughs> I just want people to do that. Like, you got to hold a boundary. You got to you gotta know what your boundary is going to be, and then you've got to have the courage to actually say it. And then when people don't, you're like, peace out, dude. Like, no way. Yeah. And I mean, that's how I want to raise my kids and how I want to be in my own relationships. Yeah. Right? I, I mean... And I want to be clear. It doesn't even have to be the right boundary. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have yes. to, you don't even have to know if it's the right boundary. You are yeah. allowed to make boundaries and not know if they're right and people need to respect them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> All right, Megan. So, <laughs> let's try to pull this to a close. Okay. Um what is your so coming off the mission field, detangling yourself from these awful patriarchal stories that you've grown up with, and you know, they live in your body, they live in your mind, mm-hmm. they, live in, they live in your relationships with guys, with other women, right? Um, you tell some stories in the book where you're having conversations with women and you're realizing that you're inhabiting this narrative that's damaging to them. Mm-hmm. Where, where for, for Christian women who are listening mm-hmm. and men, where do we go from here? There, there's, there seems to be these two kind of like fears I think people have. Well, mm-hmm. this is the best we can do, and we want to we want to live some sort of godly life. We want to live some sort of holy life, and this is all we know how to do. So we're going to stay here and sort of try to try to put lipstick on a patriarchal pig, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or people are like uh, uh, just like want to get as far away from that as possible and get mm-hmm. free from that. Like you know, leave. They want to leave Egypt. But but the mm-hmm. but the problem is I hear people tell me I don't know what the promised land looks like, like I, mm-hmm. I I think I know how to get out of Egypt, but I don't know what it looks like to live in the promised land where, for instance, I'm not full of shame in my body, and where mm-hmm. um where actually actually men uh do respect my boundaries and I'm able to mm-hmm. make them, which are two of the things that you've named here. But I wonder mm-hmm. what for you what have you discovered in the promised land? on the other side of, of the patriarchy? I have found so much. And that's why I think all of this is worth it. Because, like, while I definitely have experienced a lot of pushback, and from very from people I love uh, who, who've kind of said, we don't want to know you anymore. Mm-hmm. You disappoint mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. I found that what I've gotten in return is... is completely worth it um, for both my family, my husband and I, and the impact that 
I've been able to make through my book and through my podcast and the stories I've made. And so what are we going for? I think we're what we're striving for, what we're searching for is a world that boils down to Jesus's, you know, greatest commandment, love God and love others. And I think what happened where we went wrong is that we were told that a bunch of things were sins, like drinking or or uh, wearing clothes that, you know, maybe showed some of your body or all of these different rules. Mm-hmm. But when I look at scripture, when I look at what Jesus was really angry about, it was not about what a woman was wearing or drinking or any of these other things that I was trying to fit my life into. Mm-hmm. It was about not loving people. It was about being complicit in systems that harmed others and not being sad about it. There's one of my favorite books of the Bible is Isaiah. And throughout Isaiah, we see people praying to God and and God saying, I will not hear your prayers until you wash your bloody hands. I don't want your festivals. I don't want your prayers. I don't want your feasts. I want you to stop harming people Mm -hmm. and learn to do justice. And I think, I don't know... I do know, if, but we don't have time to get into it. We got into this idea of evangelicalism is very personal, very individual, all about me and how I can prove that I'm a good person. But it never looks at systems. It, it says that rape and sexual assault and sex trafficking and all of this stuff is an individual sin, and it can be fixed on an individual level. But it fails to see the principalities and powers. Remember, our mm-hmm. battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers that are at play that cause people to harm other people. I don't think even mm-hmm. the, the Johns I encountered were born bad. I think what happened was they had grown up in a system that told them that they were powerful over women, that women were there to serve them, and this is how they were told to find their worth. Their worth was in the domination of women. And of course, that's going to cause harm. And so I think the story of the gospel to me is people... And my idea of being born again is is opening your eyes to to the system, to the world, to the things that that affect one another, and learning to do right and learning to repent. I think that's what repentance is: is saying, "Oh no, I didn't do this well." And we can see this with like, for me, I I've, I've, I'm on a journey of anti racism, and that means saying I was racist. That means turning away from it and and actively walking in the other directions and supporting anti-racist educators showing up at marches. And I think it's the same with patriarchy. I think it's the same with so many other systems. I just want us to open our eyes and live in tune with our bodies and what Mm -hmm. it's telling us and stop shoving it down and to realize that God gave us the tools to realize when something's good and when it's not, and to to see the systems at play in the world. And so for me, at the other side, it, it means a life where my husband and I feel safe and heard and can talk about anything with one another. He doesn't have to be strong and masculine all the time. He can break down. He can cry. He can talk about the things he's afraid of. I don't have to be silent and submissive. I can lead. I can have ideas. I can push us in a new direction. And I think it's just 
living in the body and living the life that God has set out for us without these harmful systems that tell us how we need to be and how we need to act. Well, now is the time for the offering, I think. Now, right? <laughs> we can take up two. You know, you take know up two what, offerings. Ben, I actually wrote a, a text to a friend of mine um, that I think might be a good closing for this okay. because um, I just think for for some listeners who maybe their eyes are being opened mm-hmm. um, and saying, this is me, mm. um, that can be overwhelming for them, I think, mm. and can be... Um, Maybe they even feel hopeless in that. Like, mm-hmm. I, this is scary to kind mm-hmm. of face it. And so um, I just wrote, I wrote this uh, to a friend, and I think maybe maybe some of our listeners need to see this or hear this. You are glory, not garbage. Mm. You are brave, not broken. You are human, not harmful. You are seen, not forgotten. You are raw and real not rejected. You are loved, seen, fought for, and worth every single ounce of everlasting love. May God catch your heart in every way. And I just think maybe our listeners need to hear that. Mm. So good. So. I did. I did. Megan, Christine. tell us. Yeah, Megan, tell us where can our listeners find you? Um, you can find me and my book, I hope you buy the book. I just got my, um, <laughs> what is it, sales report. It's been out for three months. Mm. And it's doing okay. I'd like <laughs> it to do a little better. Yeah. Um, so you can find me in the book, Women Rising. Um, uh, you can find me on my p- podcast, Faith and Feminism. We have so many questions about this. And I really mm. think what Christy said is so important. Um, I think a lot of us have been taught a system of shame and self-condemnation. In, our con- in the church, and it's not actually helpful. And I actually write about that in my book where I had a realization that all of my self-condemnation, all of my self-hatred was actually th- the root, this shame was actually the root of my bad behavior. And the cure for it was actually realizing how incredibly loved I was mm-hmm. and how my that love cannot be separated. A, a Bible verse that has been my favorite since childhood and still my favorite today. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God, not angels, not demons, not heaven or hell, that like nothing, nothing. There's like an umbilical cord connecting us to God and divine love. And I think that is, that is actually the way we heal. It's not through self-condemnation, but through that love. And it's that, you know, it says it's loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's actually true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's it's, it's love that leads us there. But all of that to say, you can find me on Faith and Feminism. We talk about, I have a lot of therapists on because I am not a therapist, but thank goodness they exist. Um, And then my Instagram is just Megan Chance. So. Awesome. Awesome, Megan. Well, thanks for being with us. It's really great to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. 
you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.